I'm amazed how many people own stocks. Welcome to the Playing Footsie Podcast. My name's Paul, and each episode, me and the lads get together to talk about the stocks, stock market news, and finance in general. Quick disclaimer, you shouldn't consider anything in this podcast as personal financial advice. If you need such advice, go to a financial advisor. And please remember, when investing in any form, your capital is at risk. So sit back, relax, and let the lads fill you in with all the stock market news of the week. The sucker's going up. Welcome back to the Playing Pussy Podcast, everybody. <laughs> Just thought I'd scare the crap out of them there. Welcome back, everyone, to the Playing Pussy Podcast. We've got me, we've got Steve W and Steve D, your weekly dose of non-footsy content. Uh, whatever we talk about investments and all sorts every single week this week we have got another game i think steve d or no steve w's got the game this week uh then we're going to talk about uh berkshire hathaway's earnings because that was quite interesting we've got a few stocks that we're watching at the moment a couple of stocks that were pretty interesting this week and then at the end we've got a question on how to satisfy your wife apparently so we've got a lot of things packed in for this show today uh Let's get started. Let's get straight to it. How are you doing, Steve D and Steve W? What's your week been like and how are your stocks doing? Um, doing okay this week. It's been a bit of a dodgy start to the week, but it's sort of powered up today back to where where you'd sort of want it to be. But it's actually coming from my smaller positions rather than my bigger positions, which is uh, a little bit odd today. I've had some pretty major gains. What about you, Steve? I've had a good week. Uh, it was my birthday on Monday, and I got some money for my birthday, and so I spent it all on beer, like a good 30-something that I am. Specifically, I spent it all on Boston beer, which was down quite a long way after its earnings. So I've opened a position there and gradually building that one out as it goes lower and lower and lower, at least for the time being. So your nana gave you a tenner, and uh, <laughs> you're, uh, you're blowing it all on Boston beer. Yeah, all in one go. That's uh, it, pretty much. I've had it up. He's I, a monzo user too, so it cost him a quid to drop it in. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I've had a pretty good week or two weeks, to be honest with you. Um, I crossed like 35,000 and I didn't even notice, and it, that was great. As my, uh, my unrealized gains are very slightly just just gradually rising it's all stunks always go up right so i expect this to happen forever and there to be never to be any bumps in the road uh not financial rice obviously right let's get on with the game for this week what we got uh steve w okay uh so this week it turns out it wasn't just my birthday uh this week it was actually also casper who runs a discord uh that we all uh, chat on and are all members of it was his birthday too yeah. day after mine in fact um and in honor of this i have asked casper all the questions from this week's quiz and he got some of them right and some of them wrong uh, and this week we are going to play a game called are you smarter than a 21 year old happy belated birthday casper <laughs> um <laughs> So, uh, here we go. We should have had him on. Here's how this is going to work. (laughs) Uh, No, we shouldn't. Um, uh, The questions are all fairly straightforward-ish, general stock knowledge questions. Um, If you get a question right, you get a point. If you get a question wrong, you don't. However, if you get a question right and Casper didn't get it right, you can have a bonus point. And if you get a question wrong and Casper got it right, you lose a point. 
so a nice added opportunity for some scoring okay. and losing of points here. Okay. Uh, there is no particular theme to the question. They're all just stocks-related stuff. I have a tiebreaker as well in Casper's Honor, so if you can try and draw, that would be perfect. Uh, Steve, I have you written down as going first. Number between one and ten. I'll have lucky number seven. <laughs> lucky number seven. Okay, so oh, this is your kind of question, actually. Um, okay, Steve, which of these has the lowest price-to-sales ratio? Uh... <laughs> None of these are profitable, by the way, so I couldn't ask you about the PE. But uh, Peloton, uh, Spotify, and Zoom. Uh, by the way, this was as of Tuesday when I looked at this. Oh. Nice, I... nice, nice question. Yeah, so I think, Spotify's, I think Spotify's got a lot of revenue off the top of my head. So I'm aiming towards mm. Zoom, but it's only because I'm not really sure what their, what their revenue is. Just so you're clear, I said lowest price to sales. Oh, lowest? Yeah. Uh, oh. It felt like you were talking yourself out of... Well, it felt like you approached what you thought was an yeah. answer and then moved away yes. from it again. Yes, Spotify. <laughs> Spotify is my answer. Uh, okay, so Spotify is your answer. Uh, you are correct. Very good. Um, Spotify Ding. is correct. When I looked at had a price to sales of around five, uh, Peloton a price to sales of around nine, Zoom a price to sales of around 35. Uh, I've got it question. right, even if it's the Spotify. other way around. <laughs> Spotify price sales of five. That's not bad, is it? That's yep. all right, isn't it? Uh, all of mm, these are extracted from the Goldman Sachs Unprofitable Tech Index, my favourite thing to look at. <laughs> um, uh, the question now becomes then, did Casper get this right or not? Um, and I can tell you that Casper did, in fact, get this question correct. So no bonus oh. point for you, but one for well, you, Steve. Well done, Casper. Uh, Paul, Good job, Cass. Pick a number. Because I might have got that wrong. <laughs> uh, number one. Okay, number one. Uh, okay, Paul, which of these has the lowest peg ratio? Um, so peg in this case is stolen from Finviz, who take the trailing PE and the five-year anticipated growth rate on EPS. Uh, so peg is price to earnings to growth. Um, you have a choice between industrial tractor manufacturer Deer. Uh, chip manufacturer Qualcomm, or chip designer Qualcomm, I think, and nothing designer or manufacturer Starbucks. <laughs> Latte designer. Uh, interesting. So it's, it's in my head, this is between Qualcomm and Dia. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say Qualcomm because I think there's not as many overheads in there. Okay. Go for it, Qualcomm. Uh, so all of these have a peg ratio of under one, by the way, when I looked at them, uh, for what it's worth. I was expecting Starbucks to be a lot higher. You are right mm. that Starbucks is the highest. Uh, you are also correct that Qualcomm is the lowest. Uh, so a point for Paul. And the question now becomes, did Casper yeah. get this question right? Uh, well, I can say... Oh, sorry. Uh, my fault. You are correct, Paul. Uh, there we go. <laughs> Um, <laughs> Ding. The question is now, did Casper get this right? Uh, and I can tell you that Casper, in fact, did get this correct. Casper uh, going two Very for nice. two at the moment. Um, so no bonus point for you, Paul, but a right answer. Uh, Steve, another number. Ten. Ten, okay. Uh, as you can see, there's not a common theme to these questions particularly. See how you go with this. Which of these features the highest in the Trading 212 hot list? I.e., which of these stocks do most Trading 212 users own? As you can see, I'm recycling old game <laughs> formats here and, and uh, <laughs> finding ways to try and make them interesting. Um, here are your choices. Uh, FTSE, I think, car manufacturer Aston Martin. Uh, FTSE cigarette machine, British American tobacco. 
and footsie uh, growth vehicle Lloyd's. Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> oh, the highest on that has got to be Aston Martin for the main reason that it was all that the, the Discord ever talked about for six months. Yeah, there's loads Aston of people Martin? holding it, ain't there? Yep. You are incorrect. A lot of people. Steve. <laughs> mm. uh, a lot of people made money on Aston Martin. A lot of people made money on Aston Martin. Uh, it's a question now becomes then, did Casper get this correct? Uh, if he's right, of course, you lose your one point here. Uh, mm. Fortunately for you, Casper was not correct about this. Casper also thought the answer was Aston Martin. <laughs> Good luck. Um, so, no score uh, on that one. Pull a number. What was it? L- what was it? Lloyd's? It was Lloyd's, sorry, yes. Lloyd's was the highest at 32. Yeah. Aston Martin at 44. It was, yeah. British Tobacco, 74. Yeah, very good. Uh, so we've had uh, my number three I'm going to pick. You can have number three. Number three is yours. Okay. Uh, which of these has the highest one-year share price appreciation? So over the last 12 months. Uh, grocery chain Kroger. Um, grocery chain Walmart. Or grocery chain Sainsbury's. Oh. Oh, that's very interesting. Uh, I'm just going to go out there and Walmart. It's got it's got to be Walmart, right? Well, I think that's been very steady. Steve, what would you have gone yeah. for? I'm interested now. I would have gone for Sainsbury's, I think. Paul is incorrect. Mm. Mm. Uh, <laughs> Casper, by the way, thought the answer was Kroger. Uh, so oh. you have all the options covered between you. Uh, the good news for Paul is that Casper is also incorrect. Uh, ah. Steve would have got this. Um, it's not close either. Walmart has basically been is up fourteen, Kroger up twenty, Sainsbury's up about fifty odd for some mm. reason. I'm not quite yeah, sure why. Yeah. And it's going in a fairly gentle upward slope as well, so it's not like it's really spiked anywhere. But mm. uh okay, we're nice and level. I'm enjoying this. Uh Steve, a number? Uh nine. <laughs> nine. Oh, here we go. This is the only question that I could be bothered to actually come up something new for. Uh, which of the following general companies appears in the most ETFs or is held by the most ETFs? Uh, General Dynamics, General Electric, or General Motors? Oh, this is horrible. <laughs> that is a hard um, question. Hard question. This is a hard question, actually, because it's quite close. Yeah, I'm going to just guess at General Electric. I'm assuming it's probably the oldest of the lot. I think that might might help me somehow. <laughs> um, yeah, maybe. You may be correct about it being the oldest of the lot. You are not correct about it being the answer, though. It's been kicked out uh, of a lot, though, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been kicked out of a lot, hasn't it? Yeah. Uh, so question then is, did Casper get this right? Come through for me, Casper. Yeah, Casper has come through for you. Casper got this wrong. Casper um, <laughs> <laughs> thought the answer was General Motors. <laughs> it is, in fact, General Dynamics. General Dynamics oh, really? is 189 ETFs. General Electric wow. in 167. General Motors in 170. Uh, no score those are all quite close actually which felt like quite a horrible question but yeah never mind you chose (laughs) you chose that number not me uh paul uh number eight i think number eight okay we already had number eight no we've not had number eight we missed the general knowledge joke oh sorry would you like to do it now and we can try and get it back in (laughs) No, it's not. Yeah, feel free to feel free to just rest. <laughs> All right, Paul. Here's Go a nice, on, number nice eight, familiar then, question then for you. Um, in terms of what this is about, oh, just tell I me which like of these, these. Just tell me which one has the biggest market cap out of these things. Um, 
cybersecurity vehicle CrowdStrike, um, vehicle vehicle Neo, and other people's vehicle vehicle <laughs> Uber. Oh. Um. Oh. That's you're so horrible <laughs> today. You are. Um. I'm gonna go with CrowdStrike actually. Well, let me just because just I think there Uber and go. is. <laughs> CrowdStrike is about yeah. 30 billion. I think Neo is about 65 billion. I think Uber's the biggest in the 70s. Uh, uh, so you've no, underestimated. I, think, I thought Uber, Uber's 52. Oh, is right? it? So Uber, Neo Uber's is the in biggest the 50s. Then. And then. No, it's not. Oh, right, no, right. Steve, you've underestimated all Fair of enough. them, but you have them in the right order. Um, yeah. The biggest is Uber. Uh, <laughs> then it's Neo. Then it's CrowdStrike. Oh. Uh, yeah. Any ideas what Casper might have thought here? I uh, Uber, I think. Casper did not Uber. think Uber. Casper, right, no, Casper said it was Neo. Uh, uh -huh. So, again, no score. This is very good. Uh, if you guys keep blocking up wrong answers with Casper, we won't score any points at all <laughs> and we can do the tiebreaker. <laughs> Steve, pick a number. <laughs> two. Two. Uh, okay. Um, oh, hold on. Uh, two is... Which of the followings had the highest five-year EPS growth? Um God. Alphabet, um, Facebook, or Microsoft? Oh. oh. Painful. That is painful. a painful question. Mm. Uh, I'm going to go for... I'm going to go for Google. Google's had a lot of EPS growth in the last couple of years, so... I'd have gone for Google yeah, as well. Yeah, I think well. Google's... I'd yeah, have gone for Google. I'm quite happy with Google. Casper also went for Google. Uh, all of you are wrong. Oh. Well. Oh. Facebook. Oh, yeah. The Facebook. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Facebook, indeed. Um, Google, I think, is one of these companies that's a little bit tricky to re uh, value by its EPS because it reinvests quite a lot in these cases. And a lot of its monies don't make it down to that bottom line, which means that it's actually the lowest of all three of those. Oh, but really? probably for that reason, even if it's been growing better and faster than, say, Microsoft. Uh, oh, well. There's a point coming for somebody, surely. Or, or you can lose one or something. Um, ah, maybe someone's going to finish on zero. This will be good. Paul. <laughs> I have no idea what number's left. Uh, number five? Five is available. Um, yeah. All right, Paul. I think, I think this is the easiest question on the slate. But oh. see how you go. I, and I, okay, uh, the trouble great. is, I don't think it's great. the kind of question that you like. Um, because it's about what is or isn't in an index. So... <laughs> Uh, Paul, so tell me which of these is in the S&P 500. Uh, Koireg, Dr. Pepper. Oh, no. What a horrible, what a horrible game that was, Lassie. Uh, uh, house builder, NVR. <laughs> and, uh, life sciences tech company, Viva. Uh, um, that would be very helpful if I had done any work on them at all in the past. NVR... I might have in the past, but I still wouldn't know if that was a SP500. Uh, I will go with Viva. You're going with Viva. I think I'd have gone and with that's Viva. A pure guess. You would both be incorrect. I think Viva hasn't been profitable for long enough to be in the S&P. Uh, I think that's the main disqualifying factor. Oh, we're going for. Oh, sorry, we're going for in the S&P. I was going for out of S out of the S&P. Sorry. Hmm. <laughs> uh, okay, you are correct. That's my fault. Unfortunately, that wasn't the I'm question. I'm tired. Um, <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, Casper, by the way, who had the luxury of reading the questions rather than listening to them, uh, thought the answer was MVR. Um, and Casper was correct. 
Oh. Oh no. Uh, so Paul is now on zero. Um, Steve, pick a number. Six. Six, it is. All right, Steve. Um, oh, this is an easy question. If you're Paul, I think. Uh, just tell me which of these has the highest trailing PE ratio. Uh, credit card company American Express. Credit card company MasterCard. Or credit card company Visa. It's not easy. That's not easy. That's really hard. Yeah. They're all like... Well, I did some research Right together on... in the 20s. Yeah, I did some... Um some work on mastercard back in the back in the day the free trade days and i remember mastercard definitely traded at a premium to visa but did it trade at a premium to american express um i don't know so i'm gonna go mastercard interesting um i looked at these last year when i looked at the mastercard had a price earnings of around 50 or so it still does have a price earnings around 50 or so, but it's actually Visa. Oh, right. Um, which now trades on a trailing PE of 57, or at least it did when I looked on oh, Tuesday. Oh, really? So you are incorrect. And Amex is, Amex is of course, famously undervalued, I believe. It's about 20-odd. Well. Uh, yeah. uh, just to repeat, you are yeah. incorrect. Oh, yes, incorrect. Yeah. <laughs> work, work. <laughs> Thank you. Um, okay, uh, so we're, someone like Casper We're keeping here. this nice and smooth for you guys these days. We're keeping mm, yeah, this nice and smooth for everybody. Very professional. The quality of this podcast has not deteriorated in the past couple of weeks. At all. No. <laughs> uh, Unfortunately. Uh, and, uh, uh, on form, I have no idea what numbers are left. Never so mind what numbers are left. At what, uh, as, uh, for Casper the moment, I right. still need to inform you that Casper did indeed get this right. Yeah. Ah, uh, friendly oh, ghost. Right. Oh. Uh, so Steve is now currently on zero. Uh, Paul is currently on zero. Um, interestingly, if Casper got this question Casper's right, winning. Casper, Casper is probably winning actually. Yeah, but yeah. Um, if you get this <laughs> next question, there is a possibility for Paul to either win, lose, or draw with this final question, depending on whether Casper got it right. Well, the number is four. Um, but here is your big moment, Paul. Just tell me which of these has the following trailing dip highest, highest uh, following trailing dividend yield. Um, and this was very much Casper's question. Uh, no pressure, by the way, because they're all REITs. Uh, so... It's going to be oil company. Oh, REITs. <laughs> <laughs> no, Casper likes REITs. He has a video on Casper Invest talking about REITs for anyone that would like to go and watch that. Uh, I would suggest that's yeah. probably no one because everyone's switched off by now. But um, here are your choices, Paul. Um, <laughs> Lab REIT, Alexandria Real Estate. Uh, data REIT, Equinix. And industrial REIT, Prologis. Oh, the th three of the most. These are just three companies that have massively taken off, and you, no one knows what dividend yield these these guys have at the Mate, moment. Casper um, does. I mean, I'm just saying. <laughs> oh, so Casper, Casper got this right, did he? I'm not telling okay. you that, but I bet. Well, um, put it this way, he knows now. Cause I told him the answer anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, right. Economics. Uh, Alexandra Real Estate. Price has dropped recently, so I'm going to go with Alexandra Real. That's what I'd have gone for. Let's go. You would both have been correct. Yes. Correct. Ding. There oh, we yes. go. Excellent. God. Dropped it. <laughs> You're right, Steve. <laughs> yeah, sorry. We'll just have to pretend the ding with it. Righto. Uh, excellent. Casper uh, <laughs> also got that correct, by the way, when I asked him. Uh, so the winner with one point. Uh, is Paul Briscoe, who is ah. probably roughly equivalently smart to a 21-year-old. 
specifically Casper. Belated <laughs> happy birthday, Casper. Thank you for playing. And thank you for giving up part of your birthday uh, from your millions of friends and your shift at Ikea to answer these questions for me because it was actually on the day that I started bothering you with this as well. <laughs> Paul, would you like yeah. the clap? Oh. <laughs> uh, no, no, thank you. Okay. No, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> But I would like a round of applause if that's okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I feel it. I feel it. I feel it. All right, guys. Well, thank you very much for sitting through that. We're getting worse at this. I think we're getting much, much worse. Um, right. So uh, today we've got a couple of things uh, to talk about today. Uh, talk about and. What we were going to go with first was Berkshire Hathaway because it released its earnings on Monday and uh, everything seems to be bouncing back. Uh, Berkshire Hathaway uh, is bouncing back with the rest of the world as well. So, what do we think? We think this is a good time to buy Berkshire Hathaway, uh, especially as someone like Sven. We have to keep mentioning him every single uh, episode now because he's been on uh, friend, friend of the channel Sven. Is, it's now uh, he's quite against Berkshire Hathaway, or at least thinks there there isn't much upside anymore. So, what do we think? Was it good? What's the future of Berkshire look like? It looks a lot like the past, I think. Um, so, its earnings were good. It's bounced back nicely. You pointed out that everything else has bounced back. Berkshire Hathaway's bounced back. Uh, its uh, operating earnings were up about twenty one percent from last year, which shows you that things are recovering reasonably okay. In terms of whether it's a buy, I was looking at this and I was actually looking back at an old Sven video here um, in terms of buying Berkshire Hathaway or the S&P um, 500 in this kind of case. And I was looking back at the operating earnings growth between both of those two things over the last 10 years. Uh, and here's something I kind of noticed for the moment. I mean, there's a lot of talk about how Berkshire Hathaway is basically a way have been underperforming the S&P for the last uh well, however many years, 10, 15, whatever. If you go back far enough, then yes, uh, Buffett and Berkshire outperform. But if you look over anything like recently, no, they uh, their stock has lagged the S&P as an average in general. And I had a look at this and I looked at one years, uh, sorry, one year, three years, five years and 10 years. And every single one of those, the return you would have got from buying the S&P versus the return you would have got from buying Berkshire, the S&P is higher basically, including the dividends added back, leave aside any kind of fees for the moment. Here's another thing I noticed, though, which Sven pointed out in one of his videos. Every single one of those intervals as well, the operating earnings growth is higher on Berkshire than the S&P. Um, so at the business level, and we say watch the business, not the stock, uh, Berkshire is outperforming at a business level. It's not outperforming at a stock level, but it is outperforming as a business. And the main difference for that, as far as I can tell, is that Berkshire stayed at more or less the same price earnings ratio for the last 10 years. The S&P has gone from being 12.5 times earnings to now 23.7 times earnings. So people are just paying more and more and more for the same thing, buying the S&P by the look of it. Uh, so yeah, I've got this as a buy. I like this. Um, and I, if we say watch the business rather than watch the stock price, I like to look at this as a, a thing to keep an eye on, especially if you're not the most sophisticated investor like me and you can't work out what various companies actually do. One thing I didn't want this conversation to become, and I can see it ticking in Steve D's head, is an index for a broad-based index fund uh, uh, question that 
where the reason why we've seen such a massive PE expansion on the S&P 500 rather than Berkshire Hathaway, even though as a business, Berkshire Hathaway is doing better than the S&P 500 as a business, or at least in earnings growth, um, is that people are, so many people are passive investing these days and they are choosing the S&P 500 to passive invest in. And I do wonder if there is this new paradigm idea out there while peop with people just plunging money into the S&P 500 every year. <sighs> it feels like a recipe for disaster, to be honest with you. And I know this is less about Berkshire Hathaway and more about the S&P 500, but we we need to look at the business. And when you look at the S&P 500 as an index fund as well, I try to look at the S&P 500 as a business. Uh, fast graphs I use a lot. Fast graphs is very good for showing the earnings growth versus the price of the S&P 500. And I did get that from Chuck, to be honest. He, he kind of opened my eyes on that one where he just went, well, you know, what if you're buying businesses and you're looking at businesses and not passive investing, then there's no reason to buy the S&P 500 at these levels either. And it it is odd that Berkshire Hathaway hasn't outperformed as a stock, even though the business is doing pretty damn well. Like every single, every single, most businesses in within the portfolio are doing extremely well. And it takes the lead with that massive Apple stock as well. So what's, what's the game plan here? Do we think uh, people are just going to continue to... Uh, start keep passively passively investing into the S&P 500 or should we be passively investing into Berkshire Hathaway because it's that good well it, there's there's two there's two real issues isn't there in, in that there is a lot of there's been a lot of exciting IPOs to sort of soak up retail money and um, Berkshire Hathaway hasn't actually done anything for 10 years and it's a business that has massive amounts of optionality in that it can literally buy anything it wants to buy, really. Um, but for whatever reason, Buffett will not buy anything. So it's become a game of, um, you know, Buffett's businesses doing what Buffett's businesses do, which is generate tons and tons of cash. And the actual fun aspect of Berkshire has been seeing what Buffett buys and sells. And he hasn't really been buying or selling a lot of interesting stocks either. So he's got this big pile of cash. Um, he's going to do a load of buybacks with them. Um, I think he's buying, is it 1% of stock back, Steve? I think he's another 1% of stock back. Pretty um, much. It's 6 billion. Yeah. And Roughly. now you've got this big pile of cash and he seems reluctant to spend it in the stock market too. So um, it's a waiting game, really. I think he's he's, as much as you're told not to wait for a crash, I think. I think Buffett is waiting for a scratch, uh, a crash, or he's waiting for a squeeze on on liquidity. I was going to let you go there, Steve. Sure, I'll go. Had some to um, yeah, I think waiting <laughs> for a crash might be a different business if you're something of the size of uh, Berkshire compared to the likes of us. And I don't mean that because Berkshire's any better at timing crashes. By the way, they're clearly not right. The last kind of, I don't know whether it counts as a crash, but when he was selling airline stocks. That was not the activities of a man who can time a market. That was the activities of a man who is refusing to time a market and saying, look, I don't like these airline things anymore. I'm selling them at whatever price they're at. Uh, and I don't know whether they're going higher next week or lower next week or sideways next week. I don't want them. I'm selling them. I don't care what I paid for them. That's what the price is now. Get them out, uh, basically. So I think where the kind of timing stuff comes in, though, is that there will be companies that are in genuine strife. And I don't think that either me or Steve or even 
with Paul helping uh, and his kind of YouTube revenue streams here, I don't think we would be able to make a serious kind of offer to sort of General Electric uh, to kind of um, bail them out of a bankruptcy situation that they might find themselves in uh, or something of that order. The best we could do might be to buy some stocks when they look like they've fallen a little bit. And that's a dangerous sort of game to play. But when you see companies that are clearly in strife um, and are about to go out of existence unless someone makes them a nice offer, uh, that's a slightly different game, I guess. And so there might be a sense in which, look, you have better chances to wait if you have that kind of cash lying around. And it's worth mentioning, I think we've uh, spoken about it before, that Berkshire was waiting to bail some companies out. You know, Buffett has been very vocal that he helps companies that are otherwise good businesses but are struggling at the moment, and he comes in and swoops in. Yep. But... Uh, the government did it this time. And unfortunately, I was going to say as well, everybody else in the world, pretty much everybody else in the world, <laughs> like timed the market pretty well uh, in the last COVID crash, um, except for Warren Buffett, it seems. It seems that, that that he's the only person that didn't really invest in anything um, and then invested relatively poorly apparently he bought some pipes and that's a really bad pipes from verizon late and that was about it and um it's 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 very 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 odd to to think that he might have been the only person but what you have to do is you have to get in the mindset of what he's going for what his ethos is and that is to help these struggling businesses come in and pick at the pick at the dregs as it were or pick at what seem to be dregs but are actually little gold mines and uh, he doesn't see any apparently he still doesn't see any either no i mean one thing that i heard from the shareholder meeting that it is useful so they have a massive cash pile which makes people who are it's really interesting the kind of massive cash pile it's about 144 billion and everyone who doesn't own berkshire gets very restless at the sight of a massive cash pile and nearly everyone who does own berkshire doesn't care uh, from what I can tell of it. So when I listen to podcasts and other people talking about this, it's full of people saying, oh, investors are going to get restless at the 144 billion pile of cash that they really should be putting to work, uh, exclusively from people who are not uh, Berkshire Hathaway investors, from what I can tell, telling you what other people who own the stock will. Uh, I couldn't care less. Here's what I think that is useful for. Oh, by the way, I do own Berkshire. I probably own more Berkshire than either of you two, I think, uh, probably because neither of you own it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I... Yeah, I came out quite a long time ago. Fair yeah. enough. Here's one thing that a massive cash pile is useful for uh, that came out of the shareholder meeting. So Texas blackouts. Uh, think about that for a moment. They're looking at trying to build out a solution and Barcher has a utility company that's interested in helping them do it. Uh, obviously, that's being bid for and there are various tenders in for different types of solution that might or might not be the best way of doing things. But if you have a massive cash pile, you can say to the state of Texas, OK, here's what we propose to do. Here's when we propose to do it by. And if we don't do it, uh, we'll put up four billion that's just yours if we fail, basically. Um, and if you don't have that kind of cash lying around, and of course that's a big incentive for um, uh, someone of a, a straightforward look. Here's the cash if we can't do it. We have it lying around. We're prepared to make you this offer. If it's the same as anyone else's offer, that gives you a nice insurance policy of if we don't manage to come through on this. Other places, if we don't come through on it, well, maybe you don't pay, but whatever, whatever, you still have the same problem with blackouts and so on. So I'm content with the idea that having a big old pile of cash around is useful for securing contracts for your operating businesses, even if you're not going to throw it in the stock market, because it's hard to move around in the stock market at that kind of size. You had to buy Verizon on the quiet. 
um, and asked for permission to not tell people about the really exciting Verizon deal that he was doing. I think it's down on that Verizon deal at the moment, by the way, because I'm pretty sure my average on Verizon is lower than Buffett's, and I'm down on Verizon, although I'm, I also have a Forex um, thing that they don't. But uh, I think I'm down anyway, regardless of that. Uh, so I, I'm content with the idea that there's a massive cash pile around to sit and watch and wait and uh, gradually, gradually start chipping away and buying back six billion this quarter, six billion last quarter. Um, this kind of returning to shareholders, it won't pay a dividend, by the way. Ignore any analysts who say Berkshire's going to pay a dividend. People talk about this all the time. They're never paying a dividend. I promise you. Um, I would I would bet all of my Berkshire stock on it uh, for what it's worth. But um they are starting to return cash a little bit um, in the form of a buyback because they think that's the best thing they can do with it. Um, seems like a reasonable enough plan to me. I'm happy enough with it. I suppose the question is, can the market remain crazy for longer than Berkshire Hathaway can remain solvent against inflation, I suppose, because that's the biggest uh, thing against holding loads of cash right now is that inflation is going to hit it hard and that cash is just losing value. It's very that's good question. Um, so, I was hearing yeah. uh, famous market insight expert Carson Block. Um, I heard today that he'd launched his first letter to shareholders uh, for Muddy Waters and he was saying, I think interest rates are going to stay at this kind of level for decades, which will hurt people who are holding cash. I mean, it will hurt mm. float businesses who basically work by getting cash in, uh, like Berkshire is. Get cash in, work out how to use it, and then pay out when you have to pay out on insurance claims. Yeah, I mean, in a high inflationary kind of environment, I do get the impression that they might be looking around for a long time um, to see what kind of waiting and waiting and waiting for a deal. I wonder how long they can kind of wait for, but... Um, I, I suppose I'm happy enough to try and wait it out a little bit. I'm not in a hurry. All right. And yeah, as we're on cash, hmm. holding cash right now, and, and particularly investment uh, stocks, we can move on to Hargreaves Lansdowne. We had it in a different order, but I think that's a good segue into Hargreaves Lansdowne. So Hargreaves Lansdowne on Monday released its earnings and its shares fell about 11.3%, which people are, are calling this as a really good opportunity to buy. Revenues went up, EBITDA went up. Everything looked really good for the company, except they gave some guidance which said they could see a decline over 2022. And they're putting this down to the fact that interest rates could stay the same, because that's what we're talking about right now, is uh, Hargreaves Landland does hold a lot of its clients' cash, and it makes a lot of the money off the interest from that cash uh, a lot of the time. And because interest rates are so low right now, they're not making the same or they don't foresee themselves being able to say, make the same money as they were going forward. However, uh, when you look into it a little bit deeper, it seems that because their assets under management are growing so vastly, I think it went up like 15% this year, their assets under management, which shows their business is just growing at a really good rate. I don't know if you guys have looked into it, but... I'm really trying to look at Hargreaves Lansdowne at the moment and going, I think there might be something here that people are panicked and, uh, based on this guidance and there might actually be a really good business still underneath it. So assets under management have grown slower than the uh, S&P return quite considerably. So there is actually probably a net loss on assets under management there um, to consider. 
Uh, and that's probably why people are panicking because uh, your assets in under management would take into account the value of the share um, currently, and the value of the shares have have grown quite considerably. I think what people are worried about here is that a fifteen percent yeah. return over the last uh, twelve months is not very good, and the uh, the likelihood is um, that the free traders are uh, starting to eat a little bit of Hargreaves' lunch, perhaps. Um, but I also think Vanguard is probably eating quite a bit of Hargreaves Lansdowne's lunch at the moment. So that's where I would be worried about with Hargreaves. I don't think Hargreaves at the moment has a sustainable business. I, I genuinely don't believe that. Um, I think the American brokers did it completely right. When Robinhood ended, Robinhood started to gain popularity. They knew that their time of ripping the customer was, was over. They had to do it a different way. And they all reacted and all changed the way they charge fees. Hargreaves cannot go forever charging 12, 13, 14, 15 pound a trade um, because there is just no reason to charge that amount. There is literally no reason to charge that money. The people that has been proven multiple times over. The issue they have is that um, young traders will not go to Hargreaves Lansdowne. They will settle in with a free trader and they'll stay there because that's what Hargreaves has proven that their customers do. And that's what the free trade customers will do as well. When I say free trade, I don't mean free traders in the brook. I just mean people who trade for free. Yeah, I was going to say, people don't stick around at that broker, right? No. <laughs> I, I had the same worry here when I looked at Hargreaves Lansdowne, but it worried me less than I think it worries you, uh, for what it's worth here. I looked at Hargreaves Lansdowne, and I looked at a balance sheet, and I saw lots of very nice numbers. Their debt's very well covered by their current assets, from what I can see of it. They have a strong return on equity. Their returns on invested capital are really, really high. Um, and I looked at that and thought, this looks really encouraging. And I thought, well, look, I know where their revenue comes from. It comes from what they call, and I quote, administration and management of assets held on its platform, whatever that means, but some sort of holding charge, um, some transaction fees and some advisory fees. The last one was interesting to me in that they do offer, they do appear to offer something that um, the free trading apps don't. They appear to offer advice to people who want it. I mean, whether there's now a generation of people who don't want advice, I wonder. I wonder whether they might get flushed out by a market crash, uh, basically, and suddenly realise they're not as clever as they think they are because they've uh, started investing in 2020 when all you had to do was put your money somewhere uh, and watch it go up. I, I wonder whether there might be something more to Hargreaves and they might have a stickier kind of client that will still be around post another crash um, and not otherwise. I also found something I didn't like about Hargreaves, for what it's worth, and I'm not planning on buying them, but... I was a bit more optimistic on that kind of qualitative point than Steve is, I think. Paul? Sorry, what was the point? <laughs> uh, we're interested in whether or not they still have a business model that involves, uh, as a result of them being a kind of sorry, fee-based yeah, thing. Sorry, yeah. Yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah, so the uh, Hargreaves, you've got to get your head into the mindset of the Hargreaves Lansdowne customer. And those people, I believe, are quite well off with their money and quite smart with their money as well and in general they probably hold the belief that they can't beat the market and all that sort of stuff and they're very fond of fund managers they're probably very fond of managed um managed funds uh, so there is a very key part of the business here that will keep the customers coming back and like you say those customers won't leave unlike something like and I will include Vanguard into this as well, because Vanguard became very popular with the 
younger investors that wanted to do nothing and passively invest because it's the cheapest, it's the it's the easiest to just simply plop all your money in and let it grow with the S&P 500 because that was very, very popular last year with the FI community and, uh, you know, all the FI and financial independence or stuff. So it's very possible that the trading 212ers, the free traders, stake oil, any of those companies that offer an ISA, it's very possible that some of the newer investors, and it's proven that it does happen, when there's a market crash, these guys just evacuate. And they a lot of the time, they never come back as well because they lost a lot of money. Hargis Lansdowners, probably going to stick around. Probably a lot older, possibly a lot smarter, or at least think they're a lot smarter and uh, more likely to stay in the game, I reckon. If you own stocks through Hargreaves Lansdowne as well, it's also expensive to try and get out again. To get to get out, yeah. If you want to if you want to talk about moving costs, yeah, check that one out. Although saying that, if you're going to do it all in one go, it'll just cost you eleven ninety nine, really, won't yeah, it? Yeah, so, it will be. It will be cheaper. Yeah, it's here or there. Um, I mean, the reason I didn't want to buy this it's, for what it's worth is I just thought it looks quite expensive as a stock. I know it's down eleven percent, but yeah. it has a return on equity of really high number, about sixty nine percent. I think I was looking at. Trouble is, it's selling for about twelve and a half times its book, which gives you a return of about five and a half percent. I thought that was probably a bit too low. It needs to grow quite a bit. Yeah. I didn't see the growth there for that kind of return. Uh, just with some back of envelope mass, yeah. that's what put me off on this occasion. It was the same thing. For me, it was going to be the big reveal that uh, it's trading 30 times earnings, 12 times book, and it's just a little bit too expensive, even though it went down 11% in a day based on that news. And uh, even, I think... Mr. Hargreaves or Mr. Lansdowne, whichever one it was, he came out and said he believes that inflation is going to weigh, it's going to be hyperinflation. That's what he said. So, um, yeah, everyone got pretty shit scared of that as well. So there's there was a lot to that. Right, we'll move on because I think we spent too much time on a FTSE 100 stock and everybody hates FTSE 100 stocks. So we'll move on to the cool stuff. What do you want to do first? Nintendo? I think Nintendo is the big story of the week, I think. Yeah, it's it's good to move from something that's um, that's pretty expensive to something that looks relatively cheap. I think is probably a nice little bridge. So um, I've just been uh, picking through Nintendo's recent um, earnings, and um, I've just pulled out a few stats like I did for Teladoc. Unfortunately, it's not going to be three hours long this time. It's just going to be a few minutes. Um, but yes, I, I noticed quite a few things really. The, the Switch hardware sales that were, they were down twenty one point seven percent year over year. So to 4.45 million units, so quite a disastrous start to the uh, <laughs> to the report, really. They also reported that software sales were down 10.2% to 45.2 million units, so they class a unit as a sale of a software. Um, 89 million switches sold in total, which is quite interesting, because that's 79 million more than the PlayStation 5, if you was wondering. And uh, But that's probably because there's wow. not been any PlayStation 5s in any stores anywhere. Um Revenue has obviously followed these sales and declined by 10% to $2.94 billion when you convert it back to dollars. And operating profit down 17.3% um, year on year as well. So, yeah, it looks pretty shit, to be honest. Um, <laughs> but the price has followed it. The price has gone down 17.5%, which is a big, big drop for Nintendo. And I'm here to tell you that I smell opportunity. Um, so, full disclosure, I now own this stock. 
And here's why I'm going to tell you that I think uh, I think it's more of an opportunity. So these are the toughest comps that you can get to compete with because it was peak lockdown uh, this time last year. It's an old console, stay-at-home orders. The PS5 was released. Stimulus money was going into uh, into consoles and gaming left, right, and center. We now have chip shortages, and I'm also going to put in there for gaming fans that Animal Crossing was released and everybody wanted to switch for it in uh, this time this time last year so so yeah i think it's an opportunity because new consoles coming out um christmas is is only just around the corner and they've got a huge um lineup of first party releases due to come out um, i'm just going to list a few for the gamers out there so there's shin megami tensei coming out which is made by the people who make persona there's three pokemon games brilliant diamond shining pearl and arceus there's a new splatoon game there's a new bayonetta game and there is breath of the wild 2 as well just around the corner so Hell, I can wait for all that to come out while I'm soaking up the 4% dividend. Thoughts? Yeah, uh, so I was scrambling around today working out what I thought I could sell to try and buy a Nintendo because I did my a little bit of digging on Nintendo. I did a little bit of digging on Compass Mineral, uh, yeah, Compass Min- which is um, the stock I've got, and I basically thought mine looked like a slightly worse version of Steve's. So if you'd like a company that has sort of more debt than his, is probably growing slightly slower and is altogether less interesting, then I've got something for you in a minute. But I was really quite attracted to Nintendo here. I It's price earnings of around 12 or something like that, which if you think it's going to grow at all, and it is growing, it's getting massively more efficient. I was looking at its returns on investor capital numbers, and they've gone from terrible uh, to really, really good in the last uh, decade or so basically and so this is something that is appears to be on a really really good trajectory i don't know any of those titles that steve referred to apart from pokemon if i'm honest but uh i like this a lot (laughs) so at this point i just want to talk about the console cycles and what exactly happens with these because i think we're starting to see something develop i know the the computer game console industry has probably been around for 20 years so we should start to see something but i think we're starting to develop this real peak trough style uh console cycle or at least i I don't know they're going to try and not have it like that and i suppose they will go into online gaming or at least cloud gaming which they they're going to try and create subscription models for their consoles now but at the moment what we're seeing and uh, like you say with the comps, uh, comparing the this year to last year is just very, very hard to do because the the differences in the situations were, were so vast. And last year should have been a massive thing for Nintendo, and it rightfully was. And I think uh, based on that news, I think Kathy Wood was buying it, and uh, now, the, now the price has gone down. Kathy Wood is nicely selling it, <laughs> as you would expect. Um, uh, but there, this is going to be a peak and trough thing. That's how I see Nintendo. I, I'm not quite brave enough to buy it just yet because of all those numbers that you read out. I saw the decrease in value, and it looks like it might continue. Uh, sorry, the, the decrease in earnings, and it looks like it might continue for about three years. That's what the analysts are saying. Uh, but also, it's got a great cash generation on that. It, it's going to slow its cash generation, but it's not going to decline. That's what I read into uh, read into the possible growth model that we've got there. But this is based on 
possibly a sort of cycle that we're seeing in the in the consoles and until the new switch comes out or the new version of the switch comes out i don't know what's coming next but i do think nintendo has a bit of a niche there it has a very it has a it has a way of getting into this other type of console which isn't the playstation it isn't the xbox and it's this really portable thing that um we, uh, that pretty much younger consumers want to see I think for the next three years, I think it could be a little bit painful for Nintendo. But after that, considering their IP, considering that everything that they've got on their list and, you know, including their backlog of games, I think long term, you've got a good business there. And like you say, uh, you are just if, if you are buying it now, I feel like, yes, you're buying it on a dip as it were but you're buying it at possibly on a planned dip and what you're trying to do is you're trying to accumulate and accumulate and accumulate all while soaking up that four percent dividend that, that we were talking about because that was the thing that stood out for me the most was that i know this yield price chesser. might stay hey yield chesser. It, it, it might <laughs> yeah um yeah well we're not chasing we're not chasing yield here we're doing it we're doing a benefit analysis here of of the yield and, and saying that okay this price is probably going to stay flat or even possibly drop for the next three years but all that time uh we get the yield just to just as that little bonus ready and waiting for it to take off so that that is in this uh that is the opportunity here i have the same opportunity going with uh with at&t really haven't i but um yeah that's that's how i saw nintendo playing out uh I don't know. I don't. I don't see it as this being this massive growth model. If you're going to hold on to it, expect three years of pain. That's that's my opinion of it. Just to be clear, analysts <laughs> are notoriously wrong on the gaming market. They have a really, really poor grasp on it. Um, you'll not yeah. find many uh, analysts who predict um, anything to do with gaming correctly. It's been a notorious um, blind spot for them. So I would not trust analysts on this regard. I would just use your own nose. That's a good, it's a good assessment. Let's move on. You've you've mentioned Compass now, so let's talk about Compass Materials. Compass Materials, yeah. So Compass Minerals, uh, dividend yield four point one percent. Minerals. Discuss. No, I'm kidding. Um, so <laughs> Compass Minerals, unlike Nintendo, you probably never heard of, but it does two things. It makes salt and it makes uh, what's called sulfate of potash, which is basically a fertilizer. And it pretty much does these two things better than anybody else. Uh, we're in the basic materials sector here. So the questions we want to kind of ask ourselves are how much of this stuff have you got and how easily can you get it to the people it needs to be got to? Uh, and the answer in both of these cases for Compass Minerals is very, very good. Uh, they have the largest salt mine pretty much anywhere in the world. Deposits are about 100 metres thick. Most other deposits are between 20 and 30 metres thick. In terms of getting it to people, salt is really hard to move in a cost-effective way because obviously salt per by weight is not very expensive. So if you're going to move it a long way, um, it's going to cost you a lot of money and you're going to use up your cost of making, getting the damn salt and selling it by shipping it to somebody. Compass has a big advantage here because it's on a deep water port. Um, so they can just bung it on a boat, move it to places where it snows a lot, um, and it gets there more cheaply than it gets to other places. These are kind of advantages that are really, really hard to replicate. You either have natural salt resources or you don't. It's very hard to try and um, outmaneuver them like you might design a better chip or something like that in the semiconductor industry. Equally, you can either get this place stuff to places or you can't because you're either located on a port or you're not. 
Um, they have an enormous moat that comes from these kind of things. Here's the kind of interesting bit about them, though. By the way, they're also better at producing specialty fertilizers. Their share price has gone up a lot recently. And if you're wondering why, it's because they, in July, found they have about 2.4 million tons of something called lithium. Uh, and now we begin to arrive. Uh, lithium, electric cars, car batteries, all this kind of stuff. They're busy working out how to try and extract this stuff. I see danger around this bit, by the way. This is why I haven't bought this yet, and this is why it's on my watch list, not in my portfolio. There are broadly two reasons, actually. One is there's a lot of noise going on around this lithium thing, and if they find they can't extract it, that share price is coming back down again in a hurry. Um, and if they find it costs a lot to extract it and ship it, that's going to be a nuisance for them. Um, the other issue is debt. Uh, Compass Minerals, unlike Nintendo, has an awful lot of it. Uh, it pays a 4.1% dividend. Unlike Nintendo's dividend, it's not very well covered. Um, and management doesn't seem to see reducing debt as a priority here. They seem to think, it's okay, we can roll the debt forward. We'll just basically use take out more debts to pay out this time's debts. I worry that if interest rates go up, that is going to be a problem. And it's going to be a problem that isn't there for Nintendo. Um, whether I ever get over the line on that one is another question. But... Um, Demand for salt is not going away. I don't care what people say about global warming. It's not going to be the case that it's ever more efficient to get salt out of anywhere else than uh, Compass Minerals' mine. They've been having big problems operating that mine, which are now clearing up. So I'm expecting a kind of nice resurgence in the uptick. If you look at the kind of balance sheet and the income statement for this, it looks pretty fucking horrible um, because they've been having operation problems partly due to COVID. Uh, so I think this is one that's due for an upswing. I wonder about how durable this is, but I also kind of think that this is the sort of company that has an enormous natural advantage over its competitors, and that's going to be really, really hard for anyone to try and push them out of. Very interesting, because uh, Elon Musk said that to... I, I know you... Ah, oh, that's interesting that you don't see the reason why I'm bringing up Elon Musk. Uh, no, I see that, Elon sorry. Musk was I very was, vocal about the fact... I was very yeah. interested in the fact that you said that's interesting. I thought, to be honest, that's probably the most boring five minutes of podcast <laughs> I've ever put down. <laughs> I like that. Uh, <laughs> let's, go, let's go back to talking about shit no, in I the back of that. Teslas or something. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, Elon Musk was very vocal about the fact that... Um, they are going to use a salination process to extract and purify lithium. So is this what something the market is seeing here, or is this uh, just absolute crap? No, I think they're seeing something uh, here in this kind of story. So uh, their processing plant at Utah, um, I think, has a, a salination um, plant, and it is currently in talks with various different companies for how to extract lithium from that. So having found a deposit, the now question is how you get it out. Uh, the market's taken this very, very well. And I think as time goes by, it will gradually tip back down again. I st there's, it's trading at a kind of weird price at the moment. The price is probably fine if their lithium thing falls away, although it will crash. And it's cheap if their lithium thing is a real goer. That binary event thing again, isn't it? Yeah. It's um, quite, a, quite a scary one. Um, actually, Tesla, I believe, either tried to or have patented the, uh, the I can't remember what the, the actual process was, but I saw the patent go in a couple of uh, weeks ago. So um, they could be buying some sort of rights to uh, IP here just to get, get the... Uh, the lithium out if they if they're feeling i mean i feel like this is a loose loose connection i think i think there's more in the potash thing that they can uh probably bring up but like you say with the with the uh 
with the debt um, and also having a high dividend yield for that debt as well. I mean, you, you, your debt that's being taken out is just it's just paying for that dividend, it seems. So you want to be very aware of that. And you could be entering into a company here that mm, is, is serving itself. You've got to worry about miners that fall into typical sort of minor moves, haven't you? Mining industry is quite famous for being fairly high debt, decent decent dividend cash flow when the times are good and usually they go bust when times are bad but there's got to be some sense in there somewhere where you think maybe you just trim that dividend yield down a bit and get that debt down and then hey you can survive in the good and bad the worst thing on a miner and the one of the worst thing on their costs is the drag of debt on uh, on on their products so I, I am amazed that they just want to roll like this. But, yeah, it does sound like a really interesting company. They've got their fingers in quite a few pies. So, you know, lithium price starts to go up and they can get it out the ground. Fertilizers at a fairly decent price at the moment, I seem to think. And I'm, I'm not, I've not tracked the salt price. So, um, I'm but not I can aware imagine... how you track the salt price, by the way. I tried looking on the commodity market. I couldn't <laughs> find it. But I think uh, there is a decent sense in which uh, people only pay a certain amount for salt. Yeah, I would imagine. But, yes. By the way, it's down 20 down 27% from all-time highs, which was in about 2015. So it's on a long-term downtrend as well. So, uh, yeah, you might, uh, might want to think about that a couple of times. All right. Uh, do you want to try GoodRx? I mean, or I, do you want to save it for another week? I, I can do GoodRx if you want me to. I've got, it's quick. I can be quick. Yeah, be quick, Steve. We only need five minutes or so for me to describe everything about how to keep your wife satisfied. <laughs> I'll just nod. Um, yeah, so um, I'll just quickly to let you know what GoodRx is. Uh, I think we've spoke about it before on here, but it's a free-to-use website and mobile app that allows um, users to compare and to track drug prices in the US, and um, and it provides some discounts on medic uh, medications if you generate a coupon. Um, they also have a telehealth sector called Hey Doctor. I know you just heard me say free to you, so I'll tell you quickly how they make money. They have a 9.99 recurring payment scheme, which is called GoodRx Gold, which allows you and five other family members to access deeper discounts. And um, the way it works is by they take the headline drug that they're given and they check it to see if there's a generic. If there's a generic, they point you in the direction of the generic, which is just another version of the drug. And the generic will often be multiple, multiple times cheaper than, than the main drug. When they go and redeem that coupon, GoodRx also takes a fee from the pharmacy as like a coupon redemption fee or something like that. So it's kind of like advertising to get people uh, into the you know, into the pharmacy, I guess. Um, just quickly, I pulled some stats out of the rest one, which is quite interesting. So unregulated healthcare costs in the US led to the following issues that two thirds of American citizens avoid care entirely. Around a quarter of every prescription written up is not collected. And one in every four Americans does not have a doctor. Um, the consequences of which are sort of threefold. Uh, every four minutes, an American dies from either not taking a medicine or not taking a medicine as prescribed. 30% of visits to the ER could be prevented, um, which is expensive for everybody. And there's a loss of sales at the pharmacy counter, which feels quite sort of like, it feels like the, the wrong thing to bring up after all of the stats, but it is the reason GoodRx exists. So results quickly. 176.6 million this quarter, B plus 43% growth year on year. Nice stats. Um, 
Uh, monthly active users to six up to six million, up from five point seven million, thirty six percent year on year growth. Gross margins over ninety percent. When this thing is optimized for profit, it will really make profit. And on one hundred seventy six point six million, it made thirty one point one million of net income. Paul, a profitable stock from my mouth. Um, it guided for <laughs> it guided for one hundred ninety three to one hundred ninety seven million, which was above what Wall Street was expecting. And subscriptions were up one hundred twenty five percent year on year. Telehealth manufactured solutions up one hundred thirty six percent year on year. Um, so I, I've just written a line here. Do you think it sounds shit? Well, a recent survey found that eighty percent of GoodRx's customers can now afford um, the prescription, as a, as opposed to only twenty three percent of those surveyed without it. So it is really driving benefit to the pharmacies. I'm going to tell you here that it's a reopening play because it really struggled um, during the pandemic because it couldn't get people to go to pharmacies and it didn't have the necessary setup to get stuff from the pharmacies to people. Now that um, now that we're now going back to hospital, we're getting more elective surgeries back on the cards. Good RX's prescriptions will come into play a lot more. Uh, doctors are actually pushing good R- people down Good RX to save money on their on their RX, the prescription. So yeah, I think this is a pretty interesting company from here on out. There's a couple of things that I've got to cover here. In that, very well done, by the way. That was an <laughs> excellent summary in about two minutes, which was absolutely incredible. So the first thing is, isn't it a bit sad that we've got a company that has to do this? Um, well, we, and imagine that in the UK, imagine a company like that in the UK. I just don't think we'd be able to cope with it. I, I just don't think the import, unfortunately, the working and lower class, as it were, uh, you saying that only one in four, 25% of all Americans don't see a doctor. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, uh, if they're not willing to go to a doctor, how are they going to be willing to have the nows to go on good RX and then go find a cheaper medication elsewhere? You know, I, I, I feel like that's a bit of a misleading stat because those people who aren't seeing the doctor also aren't looking at getting cheaper medication either. They're probably getting it from somewhere else. The, and, uh, the idea behind yeah, this is the reason why they have their own telehealth selection uh, a solution built into the app is the idea is that they hope that... Um, Word of mouth will get around these these sort of one in four people yeah. and say, "Hey, like GoodRx, the, the guy helped me out." And rather than me going and paying three thousand pounds for aspirin at CVS, I got it for you know ten cents at uh, Walgreen Boots. And that's kind of the idea, really, is that they're hoping that by uh, sort of breaking down the barriers of cost, which is cost, you know, healthcare in America is incredibly cost prohibitive. Uh, if they can break down the barriers of that, um, that that will help. Um, Big big deal signed with DoorDash as well, which you know there's quite a lot of. Um, I would imagine DoorDash uh, is sort of like the uh, lower earning threshold anyway, so that might that might turn out to be uh, to be a pretty nice thing as well. So, can you imagine? Can you imagine that um, in the UK ordering from uh, Uber Eats, ordering your McDonald's from Uber Eats, and at the same time uh, ordering your Lanzoprazole to cope with your heartburn <laughs> yeah. at the same time? Because like. <laughs> It's ridiculous. It's crazy. Ordering Absolutely 17 McFlurries um, and your antidepressants. <laughs> Not sure if we're allowed that joke. I, I, noticed, I may cut that out. <laughs> I noticed uh, you didn't mention Amazon. Uh, what are Amazon going to do in this situation? Uh, uh, they're the biggest threat, right? Yeah, Amazon have PillPack. Um, that's their 
that's probably their version of the, the their biggest mm. competitor. Um, and it's one of those really unfortunate things where I think um, this this is a big enough market for both of these to thrive. This market is famously huge, right? I mean, the kind of Berkshire, Amazon, JP Morgan uh, alliance that was trying to sort out US healthcare had a go. I mean, it failed by kind of most accounts from what I can see of it. Um, So, I mean, it's a kind of market that I guess is big enough. And if you're the size of GoodRx, you only need a little bit of it to make a a kind of meaningful uh, go of things. That's it with 90% gross margins. Just a little bit will obviously turn something onto the bottom line as well. Yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, good RX for, for your information, up 15% today mm. uh, for some reason, but also around 30% down from its IPO in November. Was it November 2019? Yeah, it sounds about right. Something like that. Oh, okay. uh, so it's down down from um, down 30% from all time. So uh, it's gone the same way every other IPO goes. It has that little dip straight away. So maybe. Maybe you're getting to that point. We'll leave it there. Thank you very much for watching, guys. That was a very somber end to the to the podcast today. Um, as always, you can leave us a five-star like if you thought this was great. You can leave us a comment with a question uh, on the YouTube version, and you can love it and like it and whatever you do to, to uh, the... Uh, youtube thing if you're watching this on the toilet i hope we helped your bowel movement uh, go through <laughs> sorry that's a joke i have with, with a lot of people that's uh, an 80 minute <laughs> bowel online. movement jesus i hope you finished <laughs> yeah yeah you might have made yeah yeah i, I could pins and needles could would be crazy <laughs> you'd lose an organ on the way out wouldn't you or something like that all right uh, <laughs> All right, guys, thank you very much for listening, and we will see you next week. I'm amazed how many people own stocks. I'm amazed how many people own stocks. The sucker's going up.